What is your only comfort in life and death? How would you answer that question? Well, here's one answer, an answer based on the teachings of the Bible. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's from the Heidelberg Catechism and it expresses the biblical hope of the gospel. Welcome to Gospel Talk with Pastor Wes Bradenhoff. Please join us as we spend a few minutes in God's Word, searching the scriptures together and listening to the voice of the Good Shepherd. Here's our pastor and teacher, Wes Bradenhoff. Well, good day. Welcome to today's program. We're glad that you've tuned in. I'm Pastor Wes Bradenhoff, joined here by Pastor Chris Gordon. On today's program, we are going to look at an important figure in the history of the church. This year, 2009, is the 500th anniversary of the birth of John Calvin. He was born uh, July 10th, 1509. And so uh, today we're uh, considering his importance and his relevance for the uh, history of the church, his importance today as well for many people, an important figure in the Protestant Reformation. Well, let's uh, begin with a little bit of uh, biographical uh, background information. As I just mentioned, he was born July 10th, 1509, born in France in a little place called Noyon in uh, Picardy, and uh, he came to study law in uh, Paris. He, at that time, he was still a Roman Catholic. While studying law in, in Paris, he became Reformed. He became Protestant. He heard the gospel message and, and believed it. Uh, later on, we, f we find him eventually in Switzerland for a number of years in Geneva, and then later on in, in Strasbourg, and then back again to Geneva. And he's most, uh, mostly associated with the Reformation in Geneva. Well, Chris, let's talk a little bit about why John Calvin still matters today. Well, I think, you know, first off to say the name John Calvin immediately, Wes, I think people have their alarm bells rung because, you know, for some reason they are told they have to hate John Calvin and maybe it's because of his, we'll get to this, I'm sure, but his horrid doctrine of predestination yeah, or yeah. because he was a burner of heretics and... And, you know, ultimately, they don't know why. They don't know the whole history, but they're told that today. But why he's relevant today is look at the influence <laughs> that this man and the Lord used this man to have on the Christian church. You know, what set of commentaries still to this day is being used by somebody 500, from 500 years ago to this degree and with this kind of influence? His Institutes of the Christian Religion, which went through, what, four or five editions, is still today one of the great uh, great doctrinal um, doctrinal works on Christian faith, mm -hmm. on what we believe, and uh, understanding the Christian faith. So you can't just outright reject John Calvin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was used, he was a mighty figure back then, and he still is to this day, and many people have gleaned and learned a lot from the writings and teachings of Calvin. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of his 
strengths, some of the things that he brought to the table as a, a reformer in Christ's church in the, in the 16th century. And I think there are two things that especially um, stand out in my mind. Number one is the fact that he always went back to the source. He always went back to the Word of God. And we talk about the Protestant Reformation, a lot of times we talk about the principle of sola scriptura, sola scriptura, which means by scripture alone. That was the foundation of the Protestant Reformation. It has to be the the foundation for all Protestants today as well. And so John Calvin, for him, the Word of God was the ultimate authority. And you mentioned the fact that he wrote these commentaries. He wrote uh, commentaries on nearly every book of the Bible. There were a few exceptions, but, um, you know, and these commentaries are still available today. In fact, we would highly recommend them to you. They're also available on the internet. You can find them online. They're widely available and very accessible still to this day. Um, You know, some of the older editions, the language is a little bit uh, archaic in places, perhaps. But uh, overall, it's pretty, pretty accessible. So that was the, the the first thing is that he always went back to the to the source to the word of God. I want to comment on that because I think that's such an important point, Wes. You see that in his commentaries, he was a relentless. He had relentless work ethic, but was such confident in the word of God. When you go through the commentaries, what you find and what made his commentaries so effective is that he was so good at staying and focusing on the scripture. His life, his anecdotes, his personal stories don't come in. Mm -hmm. All you find is a direct... Uh, dealing and a direct focus on the scripture and how what that means and then applying that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, you, you mentioned also the institutes earlier, and the institutes are often conceived of as being a kind of a, more of an academic kind of a, a textbook right. for, for theology. Um, and in the institutes, you don't find, you find biblical references, you find a lot of biblical references, but you don't find all the, the exegesis and the exposition of Bible passages. And that's because the institutes is kind of the systematization, if you want to put it that way, of the, the, the biblical teachings that you find in the comment, uh, commentaries of John Calvin. So even the institutes, it has that biblical basis. So that's the, the first thing uh, I think is important about Calvin. And, and the can I come yeah, on yeah. This? This, <laughs> this is an exciting, exciting subject. Wes, you know, on the Institutes, I want to say this, that was written for the layman. Originally, yeah. 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 So today, you know, we would chalk that up as something that belongs to the theologians. No, that was the common layman's Christian textbook, yeah. if you will, and was expected to be read by the average layman. So I would encourage you, go get a copy and read it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You'll be greatly blessed. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, on to our second point about Calvin, and that is the fact that he was so in tune with the history of the church. He was so in tune with the traditions of the church. He knew the early church. He knew the church fathers, and he was able to, to bring his, his wide reading and his knowledge of all these authors also to bear on his interpretation of Scripture and his also his, his development of, of scriptural truths and scriptural doctrines. So Calvin w- was not, you know, some people have said Calvin was, was original in so many different ways, but actually, in a, in a way, Calvin wasn't. He was actually bringing back you know, what had been lost from the early church and from the, the church fathers. Calvin was an expert in the church fathers. And if you get an, an, an edition of the Institutes, a good edition will have an index at the back, and you can see all the places where Calvin quotes from all these different church fathers. It's incredible. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, let's move on then to talk about some of the um, misconceptions about Calvin. And you mentioned one of them earlier about the, the, the burning of heretics. Where does that come from? Well, there was the great conflict uh, with Michael Servetus uh, over some of his his uh, heretical views regarding the Trinity and, and other things. And, you know, I think what is typically uh, attributed to Calvin is that he was the one who had Servetus burned at the stake for these for these deviant views on the, on the Trinity and his Socinianism, Socinianism. But I think what we have to be careful to do is that we read back our current day back into that history. What we have to understand, Wes, is that, look, uh, during that day, this was a common practice. People were burned at the stake all the time for heretical views. You know, wrong as that was, this is what went on. And Calvin was just part of, yes, he was... He tried Servetus. He was part of that trial, but he was part of the common practice of the day. This is not, it's unfair to attribute that specifically to John Calvin. This is what happened to, to people who held heretical views back then. Well, and I, I, th- I think there are a few other aspects that we have to keep in mind. Number one is that Servetus had a death sentence hanging over his head everywhere in Europe. If he had not been burned at the stake in Geneva, he would have been burned at the stake elsewhere. And he would have been burned at the stake by Roman Catholic authorities. And so if you're going to um, condemn John Calvin, then also condemn the, the Roman Catholic Church because they had put the same sentence on on Michael Servetus as it was on him in, in Geneva as well. Not in the first place. In the, in, in the second place, we often forget that heresy, that kind of heresy, denying the doctrine of the Trinity in those days was not only considered religiously subversive, it was also politically subversive. It was considered almost treasonous and traitorous to hold a doctrine like that because it was undermining the foundations of European civilization and European stability, uh, the stability of, of the, the political realm. So there, there, are th- there are those elements. And then there's also another element that we need to keep in mind, and that is that John Calvin himself did not condemn Michael Servetus to death. John Calvin was involved. His advice was uh, asked, but he he was, Michael Servetus was condemned to death by the city council of Geneva, not by John Calvin. And he pleaded, he pleaded with Servetus. He pleaded with him to, 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 to repent and so that this would not happen. And he also pleaded with the civil authorities, uh, Calvin, that a lighter, sentence an easier death would be given right. Michael Servetus. He pleaded for a, a form of clemency, as much clemency as could possibly be shown in that situation. Well, there's there's one more topic that we need to talk about, and that's this horrible doctrine of predestination. Why is it so horrible, Chris? Well, I think this is, this is unfair uh, to Calvin. You know, what became known today, what are known today as the five points of Calvinism were later developed with the Synod of Dortrecht, but uh, and, and with what happened with the remonstrance. But the five points of Calvinism as we know them, Calvin would not have been familiar with that. And let me say he would not have appreciated anyone saying that they are a Calvinist. He would have been very adamant that we are not to follow men. So that's very important to say on the broadcast. But here, the second thing I want to say is that Calvin found the doctrine of predestination to be of great comfort for God's people, because what it meant was that when God saves an individual, that means that that salvation, how he understood it, cannot be lost. It cannot be taken because it is in God's sovereign decree and sovereign hand. He didn't find that as an abusive doctrine. 
He didn't even preach it as an abusive doctrine. No. He used it carefully to comfort God's people, and actually he struggled with where to put that in the institutes. Mm-hmm. And so you find it more toward uh, toward the latter end of the institutes because he was concerned to be pastoral with the doctrine. Exactly. But he believed it to be biblical, yeah. and it is biblical. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important that we uh, we know that. And, and in closing, I, I think it's also important for us to um, regard Calvin as a preacher of the gospel. That's right. That Calvin's concern was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to recover that biblical gospel and to bring it to God's people in Europe. Calvin was of the understanding that much of Europe was in pagan darkness at the time of the Reformation, and he believed it was crucially important to bring the gospel to these people who had spent so many years in darkness, so many people separated from uh, God because of false doctrine, and Calvin recovered that. And we also want to recover that in our day. We also want people to be hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ just as John Calvin preached. Well, we're glad that you joined us today for this program. We hope that uh, you'll tune in again next time. And until then, may God continue to richly bless you in every way. Thank you for joining us today on Gospel Talk. If you've been appreciating what you've been hearing on this program and you're not already, we'd like to encourage you to find a Christ-centered church with biblical preaching and teaching. For example, you could go online to www.canrc.org to see if there's such a church in your neighborhood. That website again, www.canrc.org. If there isn't such a church nearby and you'd like to be involved with starting one, we invite you to contact us. You can write us at Gospel Talk, 4631 Ben's Crescent, Langley, B.C. The postal code V20B3. That address again, Gospel Talk, 4631 Ben's Crescent, Langley, B.C. V20B3. You can also email us, Gospel Talk at Hotmail.com. That's Gospel Talk, all one word, at Hotmail.com. Dot com, or you can call us toll-free at 1-866-288-1087. Again, that number, 1-866-288-1087. Thanks again for joining us this afternoon on Gospel Talk. May Christ's Gospel continue to lavishly bless you. <music>